Judges chapter number 16. Um, I'm honored to once again stand in this pulpit, but I want to get right to the message tonight. Judges chapter number 16, I told Brother Jacob Trelore, uh, we're sharing our hotel room together there, and uh, uh, some messages, and you, you preachers will understand this, some messages are, uh, I guess I'd say heavy, if you understand what I mean by that, some messages are just heavy, and uh, this is something that uh, is heavy on my heart. And it's something that I want God's people to get. Um, normally, I'm, I'm very cheerful. I may tell a joke or two before I start. Uh, but I really want God's people to get this message tonight. This is really, uh, really the purpose of my ministry, I believe, in evangelism. Uh, it could be boiled down to this message right here. And if I never preach again a day in my life, and one person in this room gets this message, it will not have been in vain surrendering to the call of God and traveling many miles for the Lord Jesus Christ. Judges chapter number 16. The Bible says in verse number 16, and it came to pass when he pressed, when she pressed him daily, she being Delilah, when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death and that he told her all of his heart and he said unto her, there hath not uh, excuse me, uh, there hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he told, he had told all, her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up, up this once, and for he has shown me all his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came unto her and brought money in their hand, and Bible says, and she made him sleep upon her knees. She called for a man and caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him and his strength went from him. What a tragic first part of the story we have. Samson was a man who played fast and loose with the call of God on his life. Samson had many times before this, he had he was vowed, and the Bible says from his womb he was supposed to be a special young man. He wasn't supposed to touch anything that was dead, and he wasn't supposed to have any fruit of the vine, and he, and he played fast and loose with the call of God on his life. And, and Samson began to make decision after decision after decision, even telling his own parents what they ought to do. And instead of him obeying his parents, he said, go down, I want this, and I want that, and you go get it for me. And, and Samson comes to the place in his life when he's, joined himself to another Philistine woman by the name of Delilah. And, and Samson and Delilah began to have a relationship together. And the Philistine lords began to seek the secret to Samson's success and how he had defeated them so many different times. And, and he began to, as you, those of you that are familiar with the story, he began to tell her, uh, if, you tie, if you braid my hair, then I'll lose my strength. And if you'll bind me with, with fresh vines, then I'll lose my strength. And he told her, no doubt, story after story after story. And every time he would just break through it all and he'd defeat the enemies again. But the Bible says that she came to him day by day and began to vex him, much like that word is used in Lot when, when his righteous soul was vexed because he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the scripture tells us that finally she, she runs him down. Finally, she gets him to reveal the secret to his power. He tells her that God told me that 
a razor would never come upon my head and I would continually have the spirit of God upon me and his power on my life. And the Bible says she understands that he is telling her all of his heart. And I thought that was interesting that he had joined himself so much to the world that the world could tell the very intentions of his heart. And and the scripture tells us that she began to afflict him and his strength went out from him. In verse number 20, the Bible says, she said, the Philistines be upon thee, just like she did before. The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself and and he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. With the help of God tonight, I want to preach to you for just a little while on living without his presence. Living without his presence. My father, you know the heaviness that is in my heart for this type of a message and Lord, thank you for manifesting your presence here tonight. That's what we've been praying for. But God, you told us to worship you in spirit and in truth, and the spirit has been high already. But God, we need your truth. We need your word tonight. May the word of God have free course in hearts. Lord, may it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we look at it as very pure and love it and be changed by it. Fill your man tonight. God, I'm your mouthpiece. Please speak to hearts. Do what I cannot do, and that's touch the heart of every person in here in this room tonight, that we would never be satisfied with living without your presence. We pray this in the name above every name, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I've come across many sad verses in the Bible. I've come across verses like Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Well, they said the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. And I've prayed over that verse, and I've wept over that verse, and man, that's why, I, that's why I'm a soul winner, and that's why I want to tell people, that's why we tell it everywhere we go, that Jesus Christ can save souls, and he'll save you tonight. And what a sad verse that is, and what a sad verse I think about Ezekiel, chapter number 22, where he said he sought for a man among them, and his prophets had violated his laws, and the priests had violated the laws, and they've made no difference between the clean and unclean, and holy and unholy, and I thought, man, what a sad verse that God said, I sought for a man among them that would stand in the gap, that would make up the heads, and I found none. And I come to what I believe is one of the saddest verses in the Bible, or Samson I mean, the man that had experienced the power of God on his life from his birth. I mean, a man who was able to take the jawbone of a donkey and kill a thousand men when the spirit of the Lord came upon him. I mean, a man who had taken a lion and had grabbed that lion. I mean, just, 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 I mean, absolutely just whooped and tore to pieces that lion. I'm talking about a man who literally had lifted the gates of a city and threw them like they were nothing. I'm talking about a man that was able to gather not only one fox, two fox, but it gathered uh, hundreds and hundreds of foxes together and tied their tails together and set them on fire and destroyed the crops of the Philistines. This is a man that knew what it was to have the spirit and presence of God on his life. And yet that same man after God's power had departed from him, couldn't even tell that God's power was gone. 
I'm going to tell you tonight, the scariest thing in my life would be for God's power to leave my ministry and me to not even know it was gone. What a shame it would be for God to leave our songs. What a shame it was and God's power is on these men. And I know them. They love the Lord. They love their families. These are upstanding men of integrity, men of Christian integrity, men who love the Lord. How sad would it be, fellas, for God to, for God's spirit to leave us and leave our quartet and all that we've been able to see God do and us for not even know that he departed from us. He wist not that the power of God had departed from him. I believe there's some people in the Bible we can look to and that lost the power of God and many of them had not even realized that they lost it. I think of Adam and Eve and in the garden when Satan had tempted them and Satan had got them to fail almighty God. Satan had got them to do the one thing and think about it. They had experienced the presence of God every morning of their life. Could you imagine? Man, we talk about walking with God. This is a man who physically walked with God every morning. Yet when Satan himself came along, and the one thing that God told him not to do, that's what he did. And all of a sudden, God comes again and says, where are you at, Adam? Say, well, God, I couldn't come in your presence anymore. Why can't you do that, Adam? Well, God, I... I'm naked. Who told you you were naked, Adam? Did you eat of the fruit? And Adam, no doubt like us, had to bow his head in shame. And mankind would never know what it was again to walk with the Lord in the cool of the day like Adam did. Adam, didn't you enjoy his presence? Adam, was there anything more satisfying than God? Adam, was there anybody who you could walk with that would be that could compare to the magnanimity of God Almighty? But he was content with to live in his sin and forfeit the presence of God on his life. I think about Saul. Saul, because of his own disobedience. Saul, a man who God had high hopes for him. And Saul came to the place in his life that he couldn't even obey the simple commands of God. And Samuel began to tell Saul that the Lord has, the Lord has forfeited your kingdom and because you've been rebellious. And Samuel begins to walk away from Saul and Saul grabs Samuel. I believe what Saul was saying was he was trying to symbolically hold on to the presence of God in his kingdom and his life. Oh, you see, Saul was still king but he lost the presence and blessing of God. Say, how long of a gap was it? I don't know. And maybe some of you Bible scholars could tell me here tonight, but after he lost the presence of God on his kingdom, he still remained king. And I'm talking to some Christians that you may still have your post and you may still have your job and you may still have your title and you may still be the bus captain or the Sunday school teacher, but you and God know that it's been a long time since he's rejected you from that position. I think of David, who for 18 months lived without knowing what it was to have God in his life. No doubt David, I mean the sweet psalmist of Israel, 
I mean, the man who had so much of the presence of God on his life that he, all he had to do was play an instrument and evil spirits fled. Yet he begins to play around with his sin. He begins to take liberties. You see, God had called David. God had chosen him, the most unlikely one. He said, hey, I need a king. And I'm going to establish an everlasting covenant with him. And yet even King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, chose for 18 months until finally a man of God came to him by the name of Nathan. He said, Nathan, and he gives him the story and he says, David, thou art the man. And by the way, David already knew that he was the man. David already knew the God of heaven had pegged him and his sin. But he chose still for 18 months to live without the presence of God in his life. And so much so that in Psalm chapter 51, when he finally gets right with God and he says, Oh God, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this transgression in thy sight. He said, Deliver me from blood guiltiness. But then he said this, he said, Renew unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew within me a right spirit. Why? Because he knew he hadn't had the presence of God in 18 months. Think of Ruth, who had the presence of God on her life, who was in Bethlehem, Judah, who decided to go down to Moab. And Moab, after had stolen everything from her, she said, don't call me Ruth anymore. Call me Mara, because the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. I think of Peter, who Jesus said, you're going to forsake me. And Peter said, Lord, what are you talking about? I will kill someone. If, if they crucify me, they're, they're going to have to crucify me right next to you. And Jesus said, you don't even know what you're talking about. And the very ones that had walked with Jesus were content with following him afar off or forsaking him altogether. Can you see Peter warming his hands by the fire? And they said, yeah, you know him, don't you? And he says, I don't know him. Yes, you know him. No, I don't know him. Yes, you know him. I don't blankety blanket know that man. And all of a sudden, the conviction of the Holy Ghost of God when that cock crowed the third time. And he realized that, man, I've been living without his presence. And I've denied that I even ever had his presence in my life. And maybe you've gotten to that point where you you got so far away from him that you even at times with your life, maybe not with your mouth, but with your life, you deny that you've even been in his presence before. I think of Demas had have forsaken me having loved this present world. I think of Moses who, because of his anger, he forfeited going into the promised land. I think of Joshua. Joshua, a man that had sought God's face and sought his face and when it came to time for the battle of Jericho, he knew what it was to have the presence of God in his life. And I and listen, but by the time he had gotten to Ai, he forgot what it was to seek the face in the presence of God. So how do you know that? Because it, God told him, had you prayed and asked me, I would have told you how to get the victory at Ai. Here was a man that had seen victory. And I'm talking to some Christian people that no doubt in your life, you've seen the victory. You've seen people get saved. You've seen people get baptized. You've seen God work in your life. But hey, it doesn't matter what he did in the past because the past is past. His presence back then makes no, has no bearing on his presence being right here, right now in your life. But I think of some people who refuse to live without his presence too. 
I think about a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob who said, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and I believe it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jacob who said, I refuse to let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. Say, how do we know that was God? Because he called the name of the place Peniel, which means I've seen the face of God. And Jacob, man, what would it be like if we had some Sunday school teachers and some bus captains and some Christian parents who said, God, I'm not going to go. I won't let you go. I'm not getting out of this prayer closet. I'm not leaving the woods where I'm walking and talking with you until I know that I've gotten a hold of your throne. But we're content with just going to church services, having a good time, patting each other on the back and saying we had a good service, but there's no presence of God in our lives anymore. May God raise up some people out of this meeting right here tonight that say, I'm going to get a hold of the throne of God for my lost loved ones. I'm going to get a hold of the throne of God for my children that are wayward, for my church members here tonight that are struggling. I'm going to get a hold of God for that mom and daddy who are struggling, and I'm not going to live without the blessing of God and the presence of my life. Think about Joseph, who lost everything. Joseph, humanly speaking, had been betrayed by almost more than any man that we can read of in Scripture. And yet how many times did we read in the book of Genesis, and the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. Listen, if you don't think you've got to have the power of God on your life to watch men that betrayed you and say, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good, you don't know what the presence of God is. Joseph was so much full of God that when it came to the point where he could have had his revenge on his brothers, he said, you know what? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And God's prospered us and saved us. Think about Elisha who said, man, I want a double portion of thy spirit to fall upon me. And so much so you say, what did he mean? Well, I can tell you what he meant. Because at the end, when Elijah was taken away and he had the mantle now, the symbolic of the power of God on his life and the call of God on his life, after he got the mantle, he didn't say, where did Elijah go? He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? See, he understood the presence of God, the spirit of God, knowing that he had, we had his blessing on our life, knowing that we've been dwelling in his presence. It's not good enough for the man who came before me. It's not just good enough for the pastor or for the previous pastor. It's not just good enough for our Christian heroes or a man that we respect, a godly man. It's got to be for you and it's got to be for me. Think about Isaiah who saw him high and lifted up and was broken by the presence of God. So much so that he saw himself differently when he got in God's presence. I'll tell you why we're prideful Christians, because it's been a long time since we've been in his presence. I'll tell you, any Christian that's impressed with himself has not been in the presence of Almighty God. Any Christian that is a, a man worshiper, you have not been in the presence of Almighty God. Because when I tell you, I tell you one, one scripture put it like this, I beheld till all thrones were cast down. In Revelation chapter number 20, it said, man, he said, I beheld a great white throne and him whose face, the heavens and the earth fled away and there was found no place for them. Why? Because his beauty is higher than the highest. His loveliness is lovelier than any lover we could ever have. His glory is more glorious than any light we've ever seen. He's the Lord God Almighty. We need his presence in our lives. We're impressed with mankind and we're impressed with ourselves because it's been a long time since we got into his presence. 
I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You understand his presence was with them in the fiery furnace, but they knew something about his presence before they ever got there. I think of Daniel, who instead of obeying a commandment of the king, said, me praying to the God of heaven is more important, and that God is the same God that stopped the mouths of the lions. But can I say to you, before Daniel ever went to the lion's den, he knew something about his God. He knew God's presence so much so, and he knew his word so much that he knew the promises of God out of the Pentateuch that said, hey, if you're ever away from the nation of Israel, you pray, you pray towards Jerusalem, and God will hear you, and he will answer your prayers, and please. He knew something about his presence before he ever got. I wonder how many times we try to step out and do something, do something dumb, and we're not even familiar with his presence enough to recognize is he going to bail us out or not. We're stepping out sometimes and doing some things that God never called us or wanted us to do because we don't know what his presence is all about. How sad it is and how many have been eaten by lions because God never put them in that lion's den. They put themselves there. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter number four or chapter number three, verse number 10. He said that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his image. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know, matter of fact, he said to win Christ, to have his presence in my life. He said, everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, all the accolades that I ever have, he said, they're all like dung to me that I may win Christ. Think of John the Beloved. How John the Beloved speaks to my heart. John the Beloved loved Jesus so much and had such a, such a closeness to the Lord and knew his presence so much that he literally would rest his head on the chest and hear the very heartbeat of Almighty God. And when they all forsook him, by the way, the Bible says they all forsook him before the cross. John came back because the Bible says there stood by the cross Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene, and that other disciple whom Jesus loved. John came back, but guess what? When Jesus was dead and gone, all of them forsook him, and John was out on that boat with Peter, going back to their old lives. But see, John knew something about his presence Because when nobody else recognized him on that shore calling out to them, John said, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. When Thomas didn't recognize him right in front of his face, when Thomas denied his existence, when he said to Thomas, hey, and Thomas in the end said, my Lord and my God, it didn't take that for John. John knew something about his presence already. And he said, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Let me ask this to you. How long are you and I going to be content? How long are you and I going to be satisfied with a powerless Christianity that has no presence of God? I didn't say emotion. I didn't say charisma. I didn't say talent. Say, what's the power of God? We could get 15 definitions from Tuesday. But can I explain to you? It is when the supernatural hand of God 
comes down and does what human hands cannot do. It is when the supernatural hand of God comes down and does what human hands cannot do. You understand, if we, if we tried here tonight, we could, we, could, we, could have a, we could have a promotion and we could fill this room. I mean, if we wanted to tonight, we could, we could, I mean, we could put up a tent outside and maybe have something for the kids and fill this room. And listen, I'm not against promotion, but I'm just saying there's some things we could do to get numbers if we just want to get numbers. And there's some things we could do to pack out this room. We could put a drum set up here. Man, we could rock out. And guess what? The folks would come from far and near to see what's going on here. But can I tell you this? A full building without the presence of God may as well be an empty room. But if four showed up tonight and grabbed a hold of this altar and said, we're not going to go until you do something in us and through us, I believe it would start a tidal wave that would sweep across this nation. You see, we've gotten into this fatalist where God can't do it anymore. I don't believe it's necessarily, and listen, we know the end times are coming. We know that there's going to be a great falling away. We know the apostasy is coming, but hey, it may, it's not coming tomorrow, possibly. And I wonder sometimes if we create self-fulfilling prophecies. We say nobody's getting saved anymore, so guess what? We stop going soul winning. We say God's not changing lives anymore, and it just can't happen like it used to, so we stop preaching like we used to preach it. Instead of saying, you know what, God may not do it and he may not save anybody else, but we're going to get a hold of him and we're not going to let him go until he at least, hey, make God have to touch you in the hollow of your thigh like he did Jacob to get you off of him. Say, God, if you don't want me on you, if you don't want people saved, you might as well, I mean, do something to me to let me know. I mean, you can take me out if you need to. You know what he said about his presence? He said, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Well, can I ask you this, Christian? Why aren't we filled? You know what we need? And I'm not here to bash you tonight. I'm not trying to be mean tonight. You know what we need, grandmothers in the church? We need spirit-filled grandmothers. We need grandmothers that know God. Some of y'all remember the days, and even in the United States of America, I talked to one of my a policeman buddies. On the, he's on the special uh, operations, the tactical unit with the police in, in the city of Milwaukee there. And I said, I said, Brian, I said, what do you see? What's, what do you see that's different in the neighborhoods? Why is it getting worse? He said, because there's no God-fearing grandmas anymore. There's nobody that knows God. There's nobody like my grandmother would say to us when we were young. I said, don't you play with God. We need some grandmothers that are spirit-filled. We need some mamas that are spirit-filled. We need some Sunday school teachers that are spirit-filled. We need some bus captains and bus drivers and bus workers that are spirit-filled. We need some teenagers that are spirit-filled. You understand God never put an age limit on his presence. He never said you've got to be over 18 to sense his presence. He never said, hey, you got to be over 35 to know what it is to get alone with him and know, and know, hey, know that God's supernatural hand is going to do something. But when was the last time we said, I'm not living without it? I'm not living without it. I've sung my last song. I've sung the last song I'm going to sing without his presence. 
Listen, I know, and again, we're not talking about emotion here. I know there's sometimes in the services where it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's heavy plowing. I understand that. And I understand sometimes, I mean, it's high and it's great and boy, everything's going, the sun is shining. I understand that there's a difference there. But there is a difference between it being a tough service and me knowingly walking into that pulpit, knowing that God's not met with me. Me knowing that God is 10,000 miles away from the sermon I'm about to preach. Me knowing he's not within 10,000 miles of the song I'm about to sing. Knowing that I haven't sought his presence, knowing I haven't prayed, knowing I haven't read the scriptures, knowing I haven't, and hey, sometimes it may take, you know that Jesus, the Bible says, sometimes he prayed up to 14 hours. And he said to the disciples, man, couldn't you watch with me one hour? You know why? They were used to his presence. And can I say this? When you're in a church like this, we, we've already seen God. Some people get nervous when God starts moving in the service. That doesn't bother me at all. I get nervous when he doesn't move. I don't know all that hand raising. Listen, we were, raised, we were waving our hands 2,000 years before there ever was a charismatic. We've been shouting it out since the book of Acts. I would that men would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or malice, praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. God said, he said this, he said, praise me with the timbrel and dance. We haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> Not the dances you did on Saturday night either. <laughs> you know, we're so, we're so worried about if his presence gets in here, we're worried about wildfire. Can I tell you this? In the average church, there's enough icicles in here to cool down wildfire. I believe some of the reasons why we see young people leaving our churches in the United States of America is not because they want to be some contemporary mess. It's because we, me, have neglected to preach with God's presence and power on our lives. Because I'm going to tell you this, you get a young person in a church where the presence of God is, that contemporary stuff won't do. They may flirt with it for a little while, but it's not going to satisfy. Because when they've been in his presence... I'm going to tell you right now, we've got teenagers in our church, and they've been up there singing. They were, they've been up there singing, that's my God, and I love him. I don't know if y'all know that song. If you don't, you need to learn it. Learn it somewhere. That's my God, and I love him. That's my Jesus, he died for me. Man, we've had our teenagers standing up there, and I mean, our teenagers just get full of God. And those tears began to flow, and those hands go. One time, it just, it just flat out broke loose in our service. We didn't know what to do. You know, we're so worried about sometimes it getting out of hand. You know what? If it's spirit-led, it ought to be out of our hands. But we're so, we're, 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 we're so trying to box God in and say, if it's not done this way, if it's not done that way, we want control over everything. And if it's not on our program, it better not happen in our church. Yeah, we look at Jesus. He did things different all the time. You know, he had, he had unlimited presence of God on him. And it didn't matter. Sometimes he told people, hey, he, he told Zacchaeus, hey, come down in a tree. I'm going to your house. Zacchaeus got saved in a tree. He led somebody to the Lord by the well. But it's all about his presence. But that's why God gives you a pastor. And us pastors, we ought to be spirit-filled to know when God's in it and when God's not in it. And if you know his presence, you'll know when the flesh gets in it. I've seen the flesh get in testimony times and we want to brag on us when we ought to be bragging on Jesus. Yeah. 
You know, when you start bragging on Jesus, can I tell you something? He shows up. How do we know that? He inhabits the praises of his children. You get to bragging on, some of you, get rid of your prayer lists. Get rid of your 14,000 people a day who you got to pray for, and all you do is rattle through their names. Hello, somebody. I've been there and done that, and I got the T-shirt. And sometimes you just need to praise him. I'm going to tell you in my life, but when I get to talking about how good he is to me, when he got to singing that part about, man, I, I don't know how he could use one like me. I always, whenever we get to that part, I see my wife and my kids. I see what God's allowed me to preach. I'm just a little kid who was born in the ghetto of Gary, Indiana to a 15-year-old drug-addicted, drinking, smoking teenager girl. I'm a nobody. But God's allowed me to do something. I believe one of the keys why God has allowed me to do what I do is because when I was a teenager, I had some men in my life that taught me what it was to pray and to seek God's face and have his presence on my life. We need his presence. And Samson, here he is. Samson is a mess. Here's he, here he is, a person. Maybe you feel like Samson tonight. Maybe you've been times where you've been used by God. Maybe there's been times where you, you knew, when you, were, when you were knocking on those doors, you knew God was with you. I mean, you knew, and I, I, I can't really explain it other than if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. You, you knew that when you were speaking to that Sunday school class, God was speaking through you. You knew that when you talked to that person, you knew when you were at work and God pricked your heart and told you to talk to them and you were talking to that person and he started using you, you knew that his presence was on your life. But maybe you're like Samson. You've had some heartache, some sin, callousness, or you've just become content. And you're sitting at the end of your life and the Bible says the Philistines began to make sport of Samson. Maybe you're at that point where the world's making fun of you and you, you, you may even in your heart think, man, what am I doing here? Why am I even going on anymore in this Christian life? Why am I pastoring this church? Why am I still working with these teenagers? Why do I even run this bus run anymore? Man, I, I, my life's just a mess. It's been so long since he's spoken to me. My hair is gone. It's, I mean, the presence of God has left my life. I don't even know why I'm going on anymore. But oh, one of the saddest verses is, he knew not that the Lord had departed from him. But I believe one of the most redeeming verses in the scripture is Judges 12, verse number 22. How be it, the hair on his head began to grow again after he was shaven. The hair on his head began to grow again. And that wasn't necessarily the presence of God, but it was symbolizing, I believe, in his life that God's not done with me yet. And I may have sung without him, and I may have preached without him, and I may have given a devotion without him, and hey, I may have done a lot of things and ran that bus crowd. I may have taught that class without him, but hey, there's coming a day where your hair can grow again. God can use you. And we see the power of God by the end of Samson's life is back on him again. How did that happen? I believe it because of number one, his remembrance. In verse number 24, it said, when the people saw him, they praised their God for they said, our God hath delivered him into our hands. 
And they called him the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. Even they were reminding Samson of what Samson used to do. Can I tell you, you better be, when you say, man, it's been a long time since I've seen him move. How about we walk down memory lane again and say, man, remember when God moved over there? Man, remember we had that big day at the church? Remember when mama got saved and we prayed for her? Remember, man, we didn't have two nickels to rub together and God came through for us? Boy, you remember when I was feeling down and out and I came to church and the choir began to sing and that encouraged and God used that and God's presence was in our lives again? He took a walk down memory lane, even if it was through the words of the enemy. He said, man, this is what God used to use me to do. This is how God used to use my life. Not only his remembrance, but I believe partly was his regret. And it came to pass, verse 25, when their hearts were married, that they said, call for us, Samson, that we make, make us sport. And the Bible says they, they, they made sport of him and they set him between those pillars. And he, he said to the young lad, he begins to say, take me to the pillars that I may lean upon them. The Bible says in verse 27 again, they made sport of him. And I tell you, I've never one time ever regretted seeking God's face and having his presence when I preach or when I sing. But I can tell you dozens of times where I've regretted not having him. I'm embarrassed to say it. But I'm going to tell you, everyone that's ever preached in here, I'm embarrassed to say it. But I've walked out of the pulpit many a time knowing that I may have done my best, but he didn't do his best through me. I said, I don't ever, I don't ever, I don't ever want to walk out like that again. I've regretted every time I've wasted God's people's time. I've regretted every time I've got up and sang in the flesh and Maybe I was battling something in my own heart and life. And maybe, maybe I was just tired and didn't give it my all and didn't think I needed to pray before I sang and didn't think I needed to pray that much before I preached because I had preached that message before and I had sung that song before and I had been through that activity before. I had taught that Sunday school class before. And oh, the regret that comes from knowing that we didn't do it in his power. Not only his remembrance, his regret, we see his request. Verse number 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen me. Only this once. I wonder if somebody here tonight, God, you may never, you may never empower me again. You may never let me do a work for you again. But I wonder if somebody tonight would come and say, God, if you just do it one more time, it's worth it. God, if you'll just do it one more time. God, you don't ever have to help me teach again. You don't have to ever help me lead, lead another prayer meeting again. But God, if this one more time, his request. I believe why God began to use him again, and we're going to see it in a second here, is because he sought it one more time to be used by God. Then I want us to see his restoration. Verse 30, he said, let me die with the Philistines. But then he said this, he said, he bowed himself with all of his mighty, and the house fell upon the Lord's, and all the people that were in, 
so that the dead which he slew in his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And I tell you, if you've, been in the, if you've seen God use you and you don't think he can use you anymore, he may use you in the latter part more than he ever did before. Well, I just don't see how he could ever use me again. Are you kidding me? The Bible's filled with people that he used and gave second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. Then I want us to see his memorial, his reward. Look at Hebrews chapter number 11. Very quickly tonight, Hebrews chapter number 11, and we're done. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 32, the Bible says this. And what shall I more say? He gives this great list of Christians. He says, Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Noah and Enoch and all these great men of the Bible. And he says, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, this great warrior, of Barak, a great warrior, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, a great warrior, of David, a great king, of Samuel, a great prophet. But in the middle of that all, he said, I want to remind you of somebody named Samson. Now, to be honest with you, if I was building a hall of faith myself, I wouldn't have put him in there. I just said, let me show you an example of somebody who didn't do what they were supposed to do. But isn't it just like God to take somebody that had a good start and had a messy middle but had a good end and use them for his glory and say, I'm going to put you on equal ground with everybody. Samuel, the Bible never says one bad thing about Samuel. Gideon, mighty man of valor. Jephthah, he was a son of a harlot, but he was a mighty man of valor. Barak, a great ruler and, and a warrior for God. God says, in the middle of it all, I'm going to put a man who failed at almost everything, but that by the end of his life, he said, I want your presence back in my life. How about it, church? We satisfied? We satisfied with us doing our own strength and our own work? Listen, we, we can preach without them. We've done it before. I've done it before. I can preach without them. I mean, I got, I got outline. I can go online and get a message nowadays. I mean, I'm a part of three, four Facebook groups that all share outlines with each other. Can I tell you, you can get a sermon online, but you'll never get a message from God online. Teacher, you can get a Sunday school lesson, but you won't get, can I, our, our people and the people God allows us into life, they deserve somebody that is filled and full of God when we stand before them. Well, should I quit, Brother Allen? I don't, I, I'm nothing like you just preached about. No. You nestle up next to some pillars of the enemy. And you say, God, if you use me one more time, just strengthen me one more time. And guess what you're going to see God do? And God's going to say, hey, you remember that guy that failed? You remember that woman that thought she was a failure because they messed up in the middle? I'm putting them in there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, we love you tonight. God, I thank you for the attentiveness of this crowd. I know we've been a little long. But Father, tonight I pray that you 
as you already have, manifest your presence even at this invitation time. As Pastor Fury comes, God, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us tonight again. I think of Samuel after Saul fell. You told him, get up off your knees and fill your horn again. I'm ready to use you again. With our heads bowed and eyes closed in here tonight, what about it, church? What about it? Brother Jake is going to sing a song here. If God's spoken to your heart, if God is dealing with your heart, if you are no longer satisfied with living without his presence, would you do business with almighty God? See, I'll sacrifice. See, the children of Israel, what they had to do is they had to bring their sacrifices forward to the altar. And some of us need to sacrifice our attitude and sacrifice some time in the morning so that we know and get in, get in his presence and walk. Somebody once said this. They said, if I face God in the morning, I can face any man during the day. That's his presence. Others have already come. I'm going to pray. If you're not saved in this room tonight, come, come, come. Throw yourself at the mercy of the judge and he'll save you so quick or your head will spin. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. After I'm done, Brother Jake's going to begin to sing. We'll stand together. And we'll let God take care of us and do business with us. Father, I pray. Father, I don't ever want to preach again without your presence. I don't ever want to sing again without your presence. I don't ever want to teach a Sunday school class. I don't ever want to get up and lead your people. God, I don't want to do it in my own flesh. I'm so sick of flesh. I'm so sick of, I know what I'm capable of. I know what, go, what my mind is capable of and my talents and my abilities. I, I, but it is limitless what you are capable of. We need you here. God, they're passing things in both of our nations right now that, I mean, it makes us want to puke, God, but you knew it was going to happen and you, with your power, we can live for you. Please rest heavy on this place tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us tonight as Brother Jake begins to play? Would you do business with Almighty God? We're not forcing anybody to come down here. We want to open it up for you to respond to what God has done in your heart.